Welcome, friends. This is Pastor Rob again with another uh, episode of The Conversation, where I have my opportunity to talk to interesting people in our community, uh, the community of Rochester and at Browncroft, about life in the coronavirus and even life beyond the coronavirus, what we're all living through today. My uh, guest today is Efren Rivera, who is the Senior Vice President Chief Financial Officer of the Paychex Corporation, a human resource payroll benefits company based here in Rochester, New York, who also has a over 100 offices, as I looked, in both the U.S. and in Europe. Before uh, working as the CFO of Paychex, Efren had the same position at the Bausch & Lum Corporation, also here, as most of you know, in Rochester, New York, or based here, or was founded here in Rochester. For a couple years in between those two important roles, he served uh, as his, at his alma mater, Houghton College, where he received uh, years ago um, his Bachelor of Science, and I'm just guessing it's in business. <laughs> I don't know. No, actually, it was in psychology. Oh, psychology. Okay, yeah, so yeah. involved into uh, uses it, I'm sure, in his work. But after Houghton, I don't know the exact order, but got his JD from NYU, his MBA from the Simon School here, also in the great city of Rochester at the University of Rochester, and then a doctor of management at the Weatherhead School of Management at Case Western in the great city of Cleveland, Ohio. So if you want to know if I'm intimidated, the answer is yes. <laughs> um, but I uh, I have known Efren um, for all of my years, or most of them here at the at Browncroft Community, and has, have enjoyed him as a in-house counsel of a kind, and I'm honored, Efren, grateful to have the opportunity to just sit and talk with you for a few minutes. Thanks for taking some time to be with us today. Thanks, Rob. It's it's great to be here. Great to uh, get the invitation to speak. I like to say after people read all those degrees that uh, I have an exceedingly patient uh, partner, my wife Michelle, of 40 years, uh, who indulges my academic flights of fancy and also uh, you too can get all of those degrees and pay a dollar fifty nine to get a cup of <laughs> well, coffee at uh, at Dunkin' Donuts. So thank you. Well, it's great to have you here, and we've had lots of conversations. And we'll, I, I'm interested to see. Of course, we haven't had one in the midst of a situation like this. Um, even 2007 and eight, when we did know each other, uh, this feels different. But before I get into um, just diving into the meat of this conversation, I, I want to start by just asking how how you're doing. How are yeah. you, Michelle? How's your family? Thanks. They're uh, they're doing great. We did, um, uh, of course, uh, listen to what we were told. Did the right social distancing. Had, like I'm sure some people on the podcast, some discussions with other people in the house that maybe thought that was a little bit too confining. Right. Uh, and uh, and came to some uh, reasonable understanding as to uh, what needed to be done and. Uh, have followed the protocol and thank God that uh, that we have been okay. My brother-in-law, who uh, lives in uh, in uh, northern New Jersey and mm. the epicenter of the mm. uh, of the outbreak, actually uh, was uh, came down with a very serious case wow. of coronavirus. We were very concerned about him. About a year, about uh, a couple of weeks ago, we asked people to pray about. Uh, uh, for him, and uh, he he is uh, making a, a a solid recovery. Well, so we understand that. how difficult uh, this can be, and how dangerous it can be. 
uh, when it hits uh, when it hits a person. Does especially. he know um, how he got it? I mean, like it. Yeah, actually, uh, it, it's an, an ironic thing that uh, that it, it ended up being that uh, that. Um, uh, of course, in the New York area, because there's so much widespread infection, right. uh, he uh, works in a job where he had contact with the public, uh, mm. and it looks like he uh, acquired the uh, the virus that way. We were very, very concerned, and uh, and we prayed very hard that uh, that uh, that he'd be able to recover, it, and he did. So oh, my heart great. goes out to all of those for whom that wasn't the case. I, I know. know how difficult that is. I, I read recently. I'm sure you read everything and more than I've read, but in the antibody test they did 10 days ago or so, again, I don't know how, how accurate it is um, or how reliable it is related to infection rate, but one, they say on that test in New York City, one out of every five people, yeah. many asymptomatic. So if, if that's the case, what is there, eight or nine million? I can't remember yeah. what it is yeah. in, uh, in New York City. That's, that's an awful lot of people. I it even, is. It's, uh, I read the same stats. It's pretty staggering. So. Uh, it makes you wonder. I mean, we, we, that's not our case in Rochester, you know. Um, but if and when we go into phase one, two, three, however they're doing this in, in a city like New York, I mean, it's I don't know how you could possibly, um, you know, social distance in any in a reasonable way. I mean, it's just not the nature of how that city is. Yeah, that that will be the, that will end up being the big challenge. Yeah. Uh, different from Rochester, as you said, but but. Uh, subways, uh, just the density of yeah, people right. in, in Manhattan is just very difficult than yeah. the rest of the other boroughs of mm. New York City. It's mm. going to make it very challenging. Mm. Well, we'll talk most of this uh, little time that we have about Rochester, mm-hmm. um, but of course, uh, we'll talk some about your company, which is a lot bigger footprint than Rochester. But I want to start, Efren, with a philosophical question, and it's the philosophical question, at least for me, it's really what really birthed this idea for me, and that is, is in your opinion, you know, as a man that's had not only great education, but also a pretty vast, um, uh, rich career, a business career. Um, when you, I know you, you were certainly in business in, let's say, nine in nine eleven. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, you were, you were, you were in this professional world in nine eleven. I'm sure you have an experience there. You were in uh, business in seven, uh, 2007 and eight. The yep. great, um, what are we calling that? The great. Um, recession. The Great Recession. Okay. Yep. I know there's a term. I can't remember what it yep. is, but um, the, 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 that was very big. And now you are here. And my question to you is, you know, is what we're experiencing now, in your opinion, a, you know, a significant episode, but an episode that we can, you know, um, maybe endure like we did, you know, uh, in 2007, 8? Or is this something more? Is it more a transformational moment when you think about not only your business, but but the but the the culture in general. Well, you know it's interesting, Rob. So <clears throat> when the when the crisis hit, uh, the very first thing uh, that I did at work was to go back and look at the data sets around nine eleven, oh eight oh nine, and then now, and uh, we were able to form some reasonable understanding of what was going to happen, both in terms of the duration of the crisis and the severity. I think those are the two things that everyone's wrestling with now. What is the severity of the crisis? And then what's the duration of the crisis? And from the standpoint of the duration, we thought it looked a lot more like 9-11, which is a very, uh, economists have this term called uh, exogenous shocks, which Mm. is a shock to the economy coming 
from uh, from external forces, uh, but which is limited in in duration, but which causes a big ripple effect, but for a shorter period of time. Mm. But that's one kind of crisis. The other kind is 0809, which really a rolling crisis over a period of quarters. So you hear this discussion on the news about, uh, are we going to have a V-shaped recovery? Right. Are we going to have you. a U-shaped recovery? Right. Or are we going to have an L-shaped recovery? When, when people are saying that, the L-shaped recovery is more like 0809, meaning you have a drop and then it takes a long time to come back. Mm. A V-shaped recovery means you have a very sharp shock and then it bounces back. I think most people are now settling in the U-shaped recovery, which is to say- Somewhere in between? Uh, yes, somewhere mm -hmm. in between, and that um, we'll have a sharp shock, it will, uh, it will last a few quarters, and then you'll start to see a rebound because unlike those shocks, there is a, a, a time frame within which a virus moves through the population mm -hmm. and then it slowly abates. Now. There is a lot of discussion, as everyone is reading, about how long that that will occur. Will you get a vi vaccine before uh, before <clears throat> before long? Will it take a long time? Will it take a year? Um, all of those things are unknown at this point. Right. But I would say, with respect to the duration and severity, that's what we see. But there's a second order effect, which is, what is the effect once that that has passed? on the remainder of society um, and the remainder of the businesses that are still standing. Because whenever that happens, uh, a certain amount of businesses don't make it through the crisis. And then those that do mm. take a while to build back. I think everyone's trying to assess that. And if you've seen what's happened with markets, that's part of the volatility. Mm. One day, people feel very, uh, very optimistic. There's discussion about a drug being uh, that that's right. being um, developed that could be used uh, in drugs that already exist, right. and then other days people think, hmm, not so fast. It's going to take a little bit longer, and I think that the jury is out. Um, mm. we're, we're, it's not clear how quickly it passes. We know the shock is going to be severe, and we're feeling it. Um, we are at unemployment levels that are. Um, among the highest or the highest since the Great Depression. Mm. Uh, but the question is, uh, as I said, it's a question of severity and duration. Mm -hmm. uh, and at this point, we don't think the, many economists don't think the duration will be um, uh, uh, the way we saw it in 08, 09. But, but um, you don't know until you, you, you go through um, a few more months to start to gauge the damage that this has done. You know, because of the business that you guys are in at Paychecks, obviously employment is a big part of your business. Um, maybe you just answered the question, but what, what do you, how are you guys thinking about it? Maybe you're even talking to government people. I don't know. They, they would want to know. I'm sure they know what your data is. Are you um, – I, I, I don't even know where we are. And are we in the 20s? I don't know where we are right now, yeah. but are we? Yeah. Yeah. So is it your sense, um, unless you don't want to say, um, yeah. uh, we won't, we won't, you know, we won't put, we won't call the DNC, yeah. but I mean, uh, but I mean, do you think we'll, uh, we'll stay double digits for a while or what's your sense? So, um, I think I, what I can say is what I think economists are, 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 uh, are saying, which is they, they expect that we're going to get into that, that range. Um, but that it's going to be at least currently, 
um, relatively short-lived. Mm. And, and many of the economists that, that uh, I'm looking at and we're looking at uh, are saying that it starts to abate um, from teens, I would say, in, in, um, in the next quarter to start to be kind of upper single digits by okay. the time we get to the fall. So wow. again, sharp, uh, sharp severity, and then the duration uh, starts to become um, a little bit less than you would see in a typical uh, recession, uh, and you start to see some recovery. I would say every month that passes, though, that uh, that uh, assessment gets uh, revised, okay. uh, and uh, we'll we'll have to walk through where we are in May. I think that's an important month. Right, right. I know even here, you know, we we we're we're, we're encouraged by you know a very good ending of March, but we know that's yeah. that doesn't tell us a whole lot. Right. Yeah. So, Efren, of course, I've known you all these years as a man um, who has a personal faith in Jesus you've had for a long time. We even talked about this, I think, in a conversation not too long ago uh, about your faith as a young, an adolescent, and then older or later in your life. And I just wonder, you know, would you say, maybe you've answered this, of, of professionally, is this the largest crisis? I mean, I don't, I don't know what it's like to be the CFO of, of a huge company. So I have no idea what your life is like, uh, eight to eight or whatever, whatever your schedule is. So um, is this the greatest uh, you know, challenge you've had in your career? And how has your faith um, helped, influenced your response, both personally and even, even in your work? So um, th- there's uh, two parts to that. Um, the first I'd say it's it's certainly among the most difficult uh, challenges that I fe- I face professionally, and I've been through, um, as you mentioned, um, 9/11, the Great Recession in 0809, and uh, and now this and other issues that come up in uh, in in business and in life. So I would certainly rank it uh, at the top. I think the challenge with this uh, with this situation is that it's unprecedented on so many levels. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned just a little while ago about unemployment. We've never had a situation where the shock was so severe that now we have levels of unemployment that approach the great uh, the Great Depression. That's really um, uh, unprecedented. Mm-hmm. And uh, just today we were in meetings and. Uh, and I mentioned when we were looking at, at data, I said, this is unprecedented, but I repeated that uh, probably every other, uh, every other uh, slide as I was going through the presentation. So I think the challenge is to say, where do I find anchor points to which I can refer, which, which inform me about how to manage in this situation? So I want to talk about that idea of an anchor point. Um, because um, one of the anchor points is looking at data um, and how uh, we have uh, uh, how we have performed in different situations that look comparable. So you're looking for an analogies or analogs to where you are, but that only helps you go so far. The other part that you do is you lean on experience, and I've been very fortunate it's over a course of a, a decade that spans three three. Um, uh, or a career that spans three decades, I've been able to see um, when things happen, how to best maneuver through a situation. And um, I, I use that 
to try to inform my thinking with data, but there's all, always an element of intuition. The other part that I would say is this is a time when you rely on your team to bring forth the best ideas and the best idea should win. Mm. Um, it's not the best uh, opinion. It's not the loudest voice in the room. It's the best idea. And I've learned uh, through the years that when you make decisions in that way, when you're guided by that principle, you end up uh, you end up making better quality decisions. So, uh, so my experience informs me in terms of how to approach this. Data helps to think it through. Mm. It at least frames or bounds the range of possibilities that you can have. And then leaning on other people, leaning on your team. Uh, to help you through that process and collectively thinking about how best to work through an issue, I found is something that uh, that has always worked well for me. Now, mm. I mentioned an anchor, and this goes back to the question about faith. I do think that an important element of going through these difficult situations is to have some bedrock set of beliefs, an anchor to which you hold when things become uh, very uncertain. Uh, I have prayed probably uh, more uh, in mm. in recent weeks uh, than uh, than I have prayed previously. That's always been an important part um, and a quiet part about my my um, my work um, and uh, and my um, experience at work. But uh, it's been an important part, and I think reliance on faith, reliance on God during times like these uh, helps you to stay calm and helps you to understand how to make the right decisions. I always understand when I go home that uh, the decisions that I make affect a lot of people, and mm -hmm. so I try to make the best decisions that I can relying on God's grace every day. Every day when I wake up, mm. the very first thing I do is uh, grab my cup of coffee and take the time to pray and to meditate uh, around the decisions that I have to do, uh, take in the day, and to ask God for wisdom and mm. clarity. Mm. I will say that uh, that that prayer is always answered, mm. and uh, and I find that by doing that. I have a clarity of thought that helps mm. me to make the best decisions. Now, not all of them are right, uh, but I feel that uh, that I have a sense of peace and I have a sense of clarity about what what needs to be done. Is there? I wonder. I didn't prepare you for this question, but um, is there a whether it's a spiritual principle, a passage of scripture, an idea, maybe a, a truth that you just have been thinking about, not necessarily today, but in this season that comes to mind that's been helpful to you? Yeah, I think um, it is, uh, it's a time, uh, it's an anxious time. Um, I'm, I'm cognizant of how many people have lost their jobs and, um, and were in a position where things seem to be working very well. They um, were not expecting anything like this to happen, and all of a sudden, find themselves without a job and and my heart goes out to them because I know how difficult that can be especially if you have a family. Uh and I think frequently about um uh, both the words of Jesus and the words of Peter. And so um the uh the, um Christ said that uh, uh a sparrow doesn't fall. Mm. Um a sparrow doesn't fall without uh, our 
Heavenly Father knowing it. And I remember that mm -hmm. um, frequently. So God is God is concerned about the um, the um, details of our life, and He understands them. Mm -hmm. And um, I know that He is concerned about us. And then the other thing, scripture from from Peter, He says to cast our anxiety mm -hmm. on um, on God because He cares for us. Right. So I've thought quite a bit about that, not That's just great. for myself, but but for other people as I uh, as I um, engage with them. And um, I know uh, finally that um, uh, scripture also says that uh, to be anxious for nothing, um, mm -hmm. but through everything, uh, through prayer uh, and supplication to bring our requests known to God. And mm -hmm. the, the interesting thing about that verse is the, the promise that's given there is that it doesn't say... I'll get you out of the jam. Yes, right. it doesn't. It says something even better, right. that the peace of God is going to flow, flood right. our hearts. Right. And so um, I've experienced that. And, um, and that would be my, my bedrock principle on, on which I, uh, I uh, hold fast to. Um, I know some of your um, personal story, because you've shared it with me, certainly don't know it all. But I wonder if you could say a few words, this will help people to get to know you, even in me, to know you better, how you think your personal story yeah. um, has shaped your professional life or your professional, um, um, the, way you, the way you make your way in the world. Yeah, so um, I'm in some ways the, the child of a kind of immigrant. Uh, my parents were... Uh, uh, emigrated from Puerto Rico um, in the fifties, uh, and um, uh, and uh, I was born in in northern New Jersey and had what I would really describe as a pretty uh, idyllic um, upbringing till about the age of twelve when we moved back in the sixties uh, to Puerto Rico. Um, my parents divorced at that point, mm. and um, my mom was left with five kids, an experience that you know a little yep. bit about, mm -hmm. but in different circumstances, yep. Rob. Um, and there's something about that kind of experience when suddenly someone is in your life and then uh, not in your life that causes you to think very deeply about what the meaning of life is. And I remember when uh, when I was 12 years old uh, and... Um, I just had this very um, unique sense that there was something more to life. And um, I remember very clearly in the way a 12 or 13-year-old uh, thinks uh, to say that um, if you guide my life, uh, I will make the commitment to follow you. Where that came from is a good question. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I'm not sure. But um, but that was the initiation um, mm. of my um, of my walk uh, walk in faith, and um, to me that experience did two things. One is um, through everything that I've experienced in my life, um, I have never had a sense where I didn't sense that God was walking with me, mm. um, whether I was doing. Ex everything exactly right at the point or not, I, I knew that God God was there. That was one. And second, because that, that created a situation where we went from a very comfortable middle-class existence to 
uh, all of a sudden being really on the ragged edge of, uh, of, uh, of almost being homeless, mm. um, I, I recognized and had a compassion for, uh, for those who don't have uh, and understand that for many people that just um, occurs through no fault of their own. And um, as I've been able to have some measure of success in my life, I just realized it's completely the grace of God in that what God asks of all of us, <clears throat> whether, we, whether we have a lot or a little, is to give what we have to him. Mm. And that's our greatest calling, and to be people of compassion uh, and to help those, uh, those in need. And in my heart, I've always said, Whatever I am given, mm. uh, it's very, very important to find a way to uh, give back. Now, others do it much better than I do. Mm. Um, I, I understand that, but I think that orienting my life in that way mm. has uh, has been helpful, uh, both in not uh, in not allowing success to overwhelm or overtake my life, right. and also uh, in creating greater and greater generosity. Um, mm. and we, we continually learn that throughout, throughout our lives. And I just pray, uh, for myself and my family that we just continue to understand and to cultivate the spirit of generosity in our lives. Mm. Would you say, um, when I, we talked earlier, uh, when I, we started this conversation about your, your, um, background, you know, yeah. your, your education background, you know, um, would you say, do people describe you as an ambitious person in other words would <laughs> did you if 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 I were to take you back to your 20 year old self and say you know you're going to do all these um you're going to you're going to have this kind of educational history was that something you knew since you were 17 or 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 um, how did you find your way to this career yeah that's a great question i i would say if you ask my wife michelle she <clears throat> she'd have an interesting answer to that but but i think in my 20s um I I was motivated by trying to figure out how to get into a place where I could help my family. Mm. So I had uh, five brothers and sisters, or four brothers and sisters. Um, I actually have five brothers and sisters, and um, my motivation at that point was to help my mom and mm. to help my brothers and sisters. And um, that was a primary motivation in my life. I also wanted to achieve. That was something that was of importance to me mm. but i could never have imagined that uh, that uh the way things evolved mm. were uh how they were going to evolve and it's interesting rob when you look back over the arc of your life uh there are these singular moments these singular experiences that mark a difference uh in the path of your life i think that there's a divine providence in each one of those yeah. moments and I can think about every one of those moments that sort of guided me to the uh, to the next decision. Even being here, speaking with you in Rochester, I had mm. no idea I would ever be in Rochester when mm. we came here in 1987, 88. Mm. Uh, but yet here we are. And so I would say I wanted to accomplish certain things. Mm. Uh, and then as certain things were presented to me, more opportunities uh, became apparent. And I just sort of stepped through the door. Mm. Now, on the on the uh, back end of that experience, what I what I learned was, um, God isn't all that interested in uh, in our accomplishments. Uh, he's a lot more interested in us. 
And so if those accomplishments serve his purposes, then they bring him, he brings them into our lives. And if they don't, they do not. In, mm-hmm. in my case, uh, I have learned how each of those experiences have helped me, and I'm still in the process of becoming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I look forward to continuing uh, to develop as a, uh, as a person and as a uh, follower of Christ. Mm-hmm. I wonder in, in your long uh, career, even in your position you're in now, what you would say is the most important quality of leadership. You know, we, we had an opportunity uh, a number of years back um, to, uh, to go to Peru together. That was mm-hmm. a great experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, enjoyed it a lot. Uh, short-term missions uh, experience. Um, and um, when we were there, I had a really unique experience. Um, and uh, we were... Uh, we we did different things, and one of the things that I did was teach with another uh, another member of the congregation um, um, on the topic of servant leadership. Mm. Um, and the book, I believe, was called uh, "Lead Like Jesus." Mm. And um, I would say the best leaders uh, are servant leaders. Mm. Um, you know, um, uh, in, in the book. Good to great, Jim Collins. Yeah. Um, Level five leader. You, you've read it yeah. and you've mm-hmm. mentioned this, but but I really I really think there's so much uh, so much wisdom in that book, and he he talks about something called the level five leader. But mm-hmm. I think he takes a lot of it, frankly, from scripture, yeah. from servant leadership, mm-hmm. the same concepts, right? right? And what he says is that a level five leader is a is the triumph, and I love this this juxtaposition, uh, the triumph of humility and fierce resolve. Mm. So you have an understanding of what you think needs to be done, but you're humble enough to realize to give other people credit and to also understand that maybe the way you're trying to do it or maybe your idea isn't exactly right and it needs to be informed by others. And Mm. I think that every time, and this is one of the great things of being married to someone for 40 years, mm. every time I think I get a little bit on my high horse and mm. I'm very convinced of what uh, what uh, what I think should be done, I get kind of a tug on my sleeve and uh, and uh, I'm reminded, you know, what about the humility part yeah. of, of this process? And I think great leaders have this way of making other shine. Yeah. Um, and I think that when people people are naturally attracted to other people who don't need to hog the credit right. for uh, for a, a particular a particular initiative, I hope I do that. I try mm. to model that. Mm. Uh, I'm not perfect in doing it, but I think I know that that is the path or the uh, the north star to which leadership yeah. really should point. I'm sure it wasn't uh, Jim uh, Collins wouldn't take credit for the idea, um, but what I remember him saying. You know, which you are saying here is that what what distinguishes a great leader uh, of a company or a family or whatever is they're about something beyond themselves. It could be the company, yeah. it could be their team, yeah. it could be the, you know the success of their business. But you know, um, at the end of the day, it's not about simply their own ego. Yeah. Most leaders have an ego. It's hard to be one and not have one. God gave you it, yeah. but it's not about their yeah. ego. It doesn't stop with them. He yeah. told a story once that shows you how powerful it is. I mean, this this had to be 20 years ago. 
And I probably would get the details wrong, but it, I think his name was Darwin Smith, who eventually became the CEO of um, Procter and Gamble. And as, as I remembered the story, um, he um, the the uh, the company was not doing well. It was very much you know at best middle of the market, but it was this great you know name like a like a like an Eastman Kodak. It had it had it had tremendous uh, brand awareness and. Um, it was an icon, of course, but the company was 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 really struggling, and uh, they hired this guy. That, um, according to the way he told the story, was this guy was sort of this no not, no uh, personality or not 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 a rock star in in the company, not known. He was in the tax department, kind of an unknown, and um, and but they hired him and, anyway, and he was this kind of leader. Mm-hmm. Um, unassuming, um, not self-promoting, mm-hmm. and in the course of ten or twelve years, uh, um, I think he said to me, or he said when he gave this talk that I think it was Forbes had published an article. He said it was one of the few times um, that Forbes, I think it was Forbes, had written this. You know, this was a really dumb idea article, and there were I don't know some X years later they retracted and said we got it wrong, yeah, and he was someone who helped that company achieve um, greatness in ten years. And I think Rob, I've been fortunate to work for a number of uh, bosses who uh, uh, and leaders, I should say, too, who uh, who embody that. I, mm. I have a fantastic relationship with the CEO I work with, and he's very much of that cut from mm. that cloth, and. You learn from people like that, and you learn. Uh, the interesting thing about leadership is, um, uh, in one sense, people see a um, see a um, uh, on stage. I do a lot of talking. Uh, I uh, I'm in front of groups, um, and so uh, there there's it's fun. It's interesting to do that, but but also your um, the things that you don't do well are on. Uh, display also right and people are much more willing to overlook that when they understand that what that you're just like everyone else because you are just like everyone else you've been fortunate to be having been given uh to have been given a uh, an opportunity uh and when you take that opportunity and you exercise it with the spirit of humility people uh, resonate with that Mm. I'm looking at the clock. I have time for one more question. I want to change gears mm-hmm. and and uh, and talk about my world for a minute. Um, I know a world that you care about, mm-hmm. that a Church of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. not just this one. And I wonder, Efren, I know obviously because of your 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 wisdom, your involvement here in other places um, in churches. But I know you're a reader and a thinker. And I wonder what you think is the greatest challenge, not just this uh, particular church, but the greatest challenge for the church in a post-coronavirus world. Yeah, so um, as we were talking earlier before we started, some uh, some churches have made the transition to the use of technology mm-hmm. and seem to have adapted to the uh, to the new world uh, very well uh, and are doing well. Um, time will tell how many of uh, of the uh, churches fall into that category versus others that really struggle and really can't recover from mm-hmm. uh, the downturn 
caused by by not being able to meet together. And I was thinking about Rob when when we when when I was thinking about this question earlier. Um, the Christian faith is a together kind of faith, right? And and the the song that came to mind was a, a hymn um, that uh, that uh, is uh, is known in in in, uh, in popular. Um, uh, in popular music, uh, and is certainly sung in many churches. Let us break bread together mm. on our knees. So, mm. but the together part is the 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 part that struck me. Right, um, this faith is about being together. Right, and right now the doors how, are closed. Yeah, mm. how do you? How are you together yeah. when the doors are closed? Well, um, uh, you can do things virtually. Uh, digital technology, thank God, permits you to connect. It is good. Uh, it's not. Uh, it's not that. Uh, that's uh, that's to be uh, overlooked. And as I said, some churches are even struggling to create that connection. But to me, the question becomes: How do we regain a sense of being together, which is integral to faith? I don't think there's been a period. Perhaps there has, when the thought was that we socially distance but practice our faith through social distancing uh, for any extended period of time. I don't think there's ever been a time like that. And yet we're going to have to live like that for some period of time and then come back together. What does that look like? And do we preserve the bonds that we had before all of this occurred? I don't know what the answer to that mm. is. I think it's a great challenge to think through yeah. that. I think the churches that that have mastered the technology will need to help other churches that haven't. Right. And then the churches that figure out how how do we live together? How do we connect together in a world where connecting together is not necessarily a positive? We're going to have to think through that and we don't have a lot of time uh, to uh, to think through it. There's a great opportunity there. One of the things that I think uh, I always see with major changes is um, there's difficulty in letting go of the past. Right. That's always a challenge. But there's also an opportunity to embrace a different future if we can think about it creatively. Right. I think that there's an opportunity to be together in a different way. Example, um, we have now figured out how to be together even though uh, even though we're not physically together. Can we keep that going as an adjunct to other things that we do to create community in the church? Mm-hmm. I think we're all going to have to figure out what's the model, how's right. it look, and how do we uh, how do we make this work? There's negatives to it, as I mentioned before. There are also potentially some very interesting positives that right. come out of it. And how do we embrace that? Because it's another way to extend our reach to the community, to other right. people who are in need of God. Yeah, I, I would amen to all that, but I, I especially uh, resonate with your last few words. I, I really think the our business, the business that we are in, uh, in is is reaching people um, in uh, who who do not have a a personal faith in in God and Jesus. And I think you know I've been thinking a lot about the story of you know, when Israel was was carted off to Babylon, those who know the Old Testament, which I would imagine if I did a, 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 a 
a, a, an interview with one of those, um, you know, leaving exiles, which many of them said from the biblical record, this is the end of the world. Mm, yeah. That everything that we believed and cared about um, is in flames behind us. Right. We're leaving the geography that means something to us yeah. and um, it's lights out. And, but what we know from that story was, you know, uh, uh, God planted them in an unusual, uh, uh, unwelcome place and said, this is exactly where I want you. Yeah. And I want you to, I want you to, um, I don't want you to uh, hold on uh, and, 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 and uh, white knuckle your way through this. I want you to build a house yeah. and plant a vineyard and, and seek the peace of this city. And God accomplished his purposes in a way that you and I would, or and if I lived in that day, would have never, ever, ever dreamed right. was the purpose of God. So that's my hope. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want him to burn this place down, of course, but I, I do want to see us reach more people in this community. Yeah, I agree. Well, Efren, thank you so much for the time. Such a such a privilege. I wish we had more and we'll hopefully come back and do this again sure. if, if I can talk you into doing that. So thank you for your time. It's been great. Thank you, friends, for joining us in the conversation. Look forward to continuing the conversation very soon.